I don't know about you, but I find all the stories that we have seen so far very moving, and Joanne's particularly moving as well, hearing just a little snapshot of some of the things that she went through, it's, and how the Lord has brought her through. It's amazing, encouraging, humbling. Today I'm going to be speaking on the subject of best served with grace as I continue this invited series. And I'm going to be reading a passage from the book of Galatians chapter 2, just a few verses from verse 11 to verse 16. This is a crucial time in the life of the infant church. And there's a conflict happens here, but it happens for a good purpose, which I'll go on to later. Cephas, by the way, is the apostle Peter. So starting at verse 11 of chapter 2 of Galatians, when Cephas came to Antioch, I, that means Paul, opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Well, I wonder if you've ever read the Old Testament. I mean, read it as opposed to simply picking out your favorite verses. If you have read it, have you ever puzzled over some of the things written there? I'm working my way through the Old Testament again, and it still puzzles me after decades of reading it off and on. I read about laws concerning mildew and cooking, what may and may not be eaten, what constitutes clean and unclean, about circumcision, and it can all seem a bit remote, certainly for me, perhaps for all of us today. At that time, in the passage I've read, for a foreigner, i.e. a non-Jew, a Gentile, to follow the Jewish religion, they would have to adopt the Jewish customs, including male circumcision. But the gospel did away with all those requirements by Christ fulfilling on our behalf the heart of what the law was about. One of the so-called experts in the law tested Jesus at one time and he said to Jesus, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So Jesus brought out what the essence of the law was about. Loving God and loving your neighbor. The problem here in the passage that I've read was the fact that Peter, Cephas, had eaten with the non-Jews before. We can read about that in Acts chapter 10, where Peter goes to the home of a Gentile and shares the gospel with them, and he stays with them a few days, so he presumably eats with them. At that time, 
Peter recognizes that the gospel has torn down the barrier between Jew and Gentile. This is a very important part of what happens in the life of the church. It's not going to be exclusively for the Jewish people. No, no. All the non-Jews, i.e. probably at least 90% of us here, are also going to be included in God's plan. So it was a significant breakthrough at this time when Peter went to the house of Cornelius for the truth of the gospel. It was for all. It was for Jew and non-Jew. It was God's gift of grace, not something that was going to be earned through keeping the law of Moses. This was a turning point. And how the gospel began to spread. But on this occasion, Peter had withdrawn from the Gentiles out of fear of those Jews who wanted the Gentiles to be circumcised. They wanted the Gentiles to be following the law. Paul knew, and actually Paul was very brave when you think about it. If you think of what Peter's status was, Peter was the leading light in the apostolic team. He'd been with Jesus throughout Jesus' ministry. He was the one who went up on the mountain and saw Jesus transformed. He was the one who walked on the water. He was the one who, when he walked past his shadow, brought healing to people. So this was a very brave thing that Paul did when Paul confronted him about this. Why did Paul do it? Because it was such an important issue in the life of the gospel. He knew it was an important gospel issue and he would not give ground on him. Well, well done, Paul. Otherwise, we wouldn't be sitting here today. Hence the fact that he confronts Peter. The gospel is a gospel of grace, of God's unmerited favor. For us today, when different cultures come together, you know, we need lots of grace with one another, as there can be misunderstandings. There can be what I would call cultural confusion. If you got the invited booklet, you may have read this in the booklet, every good meal needs seasoning. This is no exception. To eat together, to build relationships together across culture, class, and generations is not always easy. There are potential misunderstandings everywhere. Now, some of the cultural misunderstandings may be amusing. Let me show you some slides now. This is a a Chinese lady's take on the West and the East. The blue is the West and the red is the East. So as you can see, the boss in the West is generally are regarded as someone who's you know, on a bit of a par with the rest of the workers, whereas in the East, oh no, 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 a very significant figure whose will must be obeyed type thing. Next one. Uh, this one here is to do with emotions. So the blue one in the West is someone feels angry, they express that anger. In the East, they feel anger, they don't express it. They smile. Next one, please. Uh, this is to do with timekeeping. On the blue one in the West, Time is time, you know, 12 o'clock, well, that's 12 o'clock. In the East, well, there's a bit of flexibility here. And we've we experienced that in cultures, don't we? A bit of flexibility in time. Next one, please. This is to do with queuing, something that the British are very good at. We heard of the expression, I don't need to explain this one, do I? <laughs> You've probably heard of the expression lost in translation. I find it happens from time to time. I use that lost in translation. The classic case for me was once I was in Nepal in 2015, and I was at a cafe with Amos, the leader of King Church Kathmandu, and we had a a meal together, and I fancied some dessert. So I said to the waiter, do you do dessert? Eventually, they, yes, we do dessert. I said, well, what do you do? A carrot cake. I said, carrot cake, yeah. Carrot cake? I like carrot cake. I've seen carrot cake down the shops here, down at Cafe Nero, down the road. I'll have some carrot cake. 
Something happened in the translation of that because this is what I got. <laughs> Which was shredded carrot mixed with pistachio nuts with some cucumber and uh, mixed with condensed milk. It wasn't quite what I was expecting. <laughs> cultural differences lost in translation. Sometimes these cultural differences can have serious outcomes. I've just finished reading a book about the Korean War and um, I didn't know anything about it so I thought I'd read up on it. And the United Nations force was fighting the communists in the north from China and North Korea, and we had a British contingent who were fighting there, and one of the British contingent, the troops, it was very serious, they were surrounded, they needed reinforcements, it was a dire situation that they were in, and so they had to communicate to the rest of the Allies the situation they were in, but what they said got lost in translation, because what they said was their situation was a bit sticky. And that got lost in translation, what they meant it was it was critical but the Allies didn't quite understand what was meant, so they didn't send the reinforcements that were necessary. Lost in translation, cultural confusion. Sometimes we can have that in the church too, and we need to season things with grace. We need lots of grace for one another. I'll tell you what, this is no secret. I am in need of God's grace. How about you? I'm in need of grace from you. I want to show grace to you. Each person is in need of grace. We're all in need of God's forgiveness, isn't that true? We're all in need of his love and kindness. Jesus told the parable of the unforgiving servant. Powerful parable. Servant owed 10,000 bags of gold to the king and he was shown grace and forgiven the debt. His fellow servant owed him 100 silver coins but was shown no grace. In fact, his debt was violently demanded. Jesus' point was that you must forgive. He didn't say it's optional. He didn't say if you feel like it. He didn't say when the circumstances are right or ripe. No, no. You must forgive. What does this have to say to us? Well, it says this, we need a humble attitude towards God and others. Realizing that we've been forgiven a huge debt and that it's taken the perfect, blameless, holy son of God to sacrifice his life in order for our debt to be forgiven. And I think it can sometimes be easy to forget that. It can be sometimes easy to forget that actually, we personally, I personally, you personally, we've been forgiven a huge, colossal, unpayable debt. God has forgiven it. And then when we deal with other people, we should factor that in mind the way the Lord treats us as to how we treat others. If you were here last week, or if you weren't, you can see it on our website, uh, Patina's testimony. She grew up in South Africa, and uh, she was in the non-white category. Many people suffered under the cruel and unjust regime in South Africa. She did too. If ever a situation needed grace, forgiveness, and restitution, it was that one. A couple of years ago, Joy and I were in South Africa, and I went to Robben Island where Nelson Mandela was imprisoned. And one of the former inmates took us around the prison on the island and explained the life that they had there. And we saw Nelson Mandela's cell. No mattress. There inmates had to wear shorts and a t-shirt regardless of the weather, whether it was summer or winter and it does get cold down there in the winter as well. Not only that, they had to work in this quarry 
and uh, they had to break rocks in the quarry and they weren't allowed any protective gear. So this dust that came off the rocks would get into their eyes and affected their ability to cry, affected their tear ducts, I learned. Nelson Mandela was imprisoned there and in other places for 27 years under this cruel, unjust regime. When he was released from prison, he said this, as I walked out the door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. Forgiveness may well be an ongoing process, I, I realize that, where as a result of what you or someone you know has suffered, you can have feelings of anger, of despair, revenge even, may overwhelm us from time to time, and it's an issue that we may well have to keep revisiting and asking God to help us through that process. We need grace. Let's receive God's grace that we might give grace to others. The gospel breaks down barriers of prejudices through love, forgiveness, and grace. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And as God's people, as people who follow Christ, we know this, God is God is love. God is love. God is love. And God wants us to reveal that to people around us. You know, we, we have this phrase, don't we? Ordinary people changed by Jesus to change the world. And we want to be changed by Jesus. We want to be changed by the love of God. We want to encounter, don't we, again and again and again, the reality of the love of God. I enjoy reading about it in here. I enjoy reading about the fact that Jesus humbled himself, became obedient unto death, therefore God has highly exalted him and put his name above every other name. I love reading that. I love singing about it. I love the fact that Jesus, despite the fact that he is the greatest who ever lived, his name is higher than any other. He made the stars. He made the planets. He made the animals. He made us. He humbled himself. He came and he washed our feet. I love reading about that. I love singing about it. But I love to experience for myself at first hand as well the love of God. I don't just read about it. I love reading. I don't just sing about it. I love singing. I want to experience the love of God for myself. Don't you? I want to be touched by the Holy Spirit. I want to be filled by the Holy Spirit. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, he sheds abroad the love of God in our hearts. And that's what's going to enable us to be people of grace. That's what's going to enable us to be people who season our life with grace and show love to others so that the world might be transformed because it's dark out there. Hatred will never drive out darkness. Prejudice will never drive out darkness. But the love of God will. Love never fails. Love never fails. I've been quoting that to myself recently when I've been praying about things, when I've been trying to deal with people. Love never fails. Keep persevering. So tempting to give up. It's so tempting to give in to disappointment and despair and say, well, it's never going to happen. You know, I've been praying, I've been praying, I've been praying. And it's like that massive boulder that I felt the Lord was talking to me about this morning. Ah, how, who's going to move that boulder away? The love of God. Let's be people who are touched afresh and afresh and again and again with the love of God. Let's also root out prejudice. Prejudice is deep-rooted. Prejudice comes in many shapes and forms. 
Prejudice is like that mythical seven-headed hydra, that serpent. When you thought you've dealt with one head and cut it off, boy, there's another one raises its ugly head. Let's root it out. I'm going to ask you a question. Are you prejudiced? Are you prejudiced? I expect you're sitting there thinking, I don't think I am. I don't think I am. Imagine you go to the local crown court in Aylesbury. And a man is escorted by the police into the dock. And the judge walks in. He looks at the man and says to him, you're guilty of assault and battery. I sentence you to five years in jail. And then the judge gets up and he leaves the court. What might you think? I would think this. That's unjust. That's not fair. No evidence has been heard. No defense has been given. How does he know? He's simply judged by the way the guy looks. That's not fair. It's not right. To be prejudiced means to prejudge. You can go up prejudiced, prejudging, without even realizing you are. We heard that in Joanna's story, didn't she? She grew up in that environment and didn't even realize that this was prejudice. Same happened to me. I'm going to show you a picture of a statue here. This is a big statue. This is probably the biggest statue I have seen in my life. I know there are bigger statues in the world. The bottom part, the plinth of the statue, is as high as that pillar is from the, from the floor to the first part of the roof. So that's the, and then the statue's on top of that. So it's quite big. And when you're a boy, as I was growing up in the city of Aberdeen where that statue is, you, know, you would look up to the statue. and It's a very impressive statue. It's a lovely statue. It's a statue of a Scottish hero called William Wallace. Sir William Wallace, as it happens to be. Why is he a Scottish hero? He's a Scottish hero because 700 years ago he fought the English. And he defeated them, certainly the first time. But eventually he was captured by the English and he was brutally executed, hung, drawn and quartered by the Sassanachs. That's the English, by the way. So if you're English, you're a Sassanach. To me, all right? So I grew up thinking of the English as the Sassanachs, which was a slightly derogatory term. And admittedly, there is a prejudice there. Uh, <laughs> I don't have it now, I don't think, because I've lived in England so many years now that the prejudice has gone away. But you grow up in that kind of environment. And by the way, at the bottom of the statue, there's this phrase which says, carved in the rock. It says, I tell you a truth. Liberty is the best of all things, my son. Never live under any slavish bond. And that kind of emphasized, didn't it? You know, we must, we must not let the Sassanachs rule us. And actually, I think there's still some of that idea going on in Scotland today, but we we'll, won't say any more about that. Anyway, I love the Sassanachs now. The Lord has helped me through that prejudice. Prejudices can be very deep-rooted. We read about a very deep-rooted prejudice in the Bible. It stems from when Jacob and Esau uh, were alive. And Jacob swindled his brother, if you remember the story, Esau, out of his birthright. And he did it by, he pretended, egged on by his mother, to pretend that he was Esau. So Jacob and Esau became estranged for many years and when they did finally meet, the encounter is somewhat strained. I love reading that as well. It's just very interesting if you sort of read between the lines there. It seems to me as I read the account that trust has definitely not been restored. 
And Jacob's descendants, as we may know, became the nation of Israel and Esau's the nation of Edom. Now, over 1,400 years had passed between Jacob swindling his brother and Edom, descendants of Esau, harboring what the prophet Ezekiel describes as an ancient hostility. Ezekiel says, you harbored, to, to Esau's descent, you harbored an ancient hostility and delivered the Israelites over to the sword at the time of their calamity. There was a deep-rooted prejudice between these two nations Edom should have been a brother to Israel and vice versa. Historical grievances. The grievances between peoples can run long and deep. And we can grow up in them. It's a bit like the, the proverbial frog that gets put in the pan of water and the water gradually gets heated. You know, our prejudice, if we grow up in that environment, sometimes it can be difficult for us to identify. Do you have any prejudices? Do you hold anything against any group, any tribe, any community? Some of our grievances may be legitimate, but it's how we deal with them that can either free us or damage us. We've heard about Protestants and Catholics in Northern Ireland. Again, growing up in that environment. The nationalists who want a united Ireland and the unionists who want to remain part of the UK. The gospel is designed to bring barriers of prejudice down. The gospel restores people's lost dignity. Huge prejudice against the Jewish people down through the centuries. The Holocaust in Russia, the things they endured. The gospel is designed to bring barriers of prejudice down. The gospel restores people's lost dignity. What's going on in Myanmar at the moment with the persecution of the Rohingya in Rakhine? The UN human rights chief said it's a brutal security operation. It's a textbook example of ethnic cleansing. These deep-rooted things going on in the world around us. The gospel is designed to bring barriers of prejudice down. The gospel restores people's lost dignity. Prejudices can appear in one form or another. The way someone looks, the way they dress, their social situation, their education, the way they speak, their ethnicity, the color of their skin, their sexuality, do they have tattoos, for example? Minor thing, but we can be prejudiced against that. Their religion, their tribe, and so on. Just simply being perceived as different. Being on the end of someone else's prejudices is very unpleasant. Picture of a lady here. She was at the receiving end of someone's prejudices. Her name is Rosa Parks. And one day in America, she decided to sit on a part of the bus that was only meant to be for white people. How absurd and wicked is that prejudice? The gospel is designed to bring barriers of prejudice down. The gospel restores people's lost dignity. And God desires us to push past the headlines and caricatures of people to see them as people made in God's image, not to stereotype people. I'll say that again. God desires us to push past the headlines and caricatures of people to see them as people made in God's image, not to stereotype people. And it's so easy to do that, to stereotype people. But God wants us to see beyond that to who the people really are. I've had the pleasure of relating to Nepali people. And within that culture, there is cultural diversity too. It's just been great to get to know people there. Pakistani family that Joy and I know as well. Do you know they've got four kids? 
And as a, an ex-teacher, those kids, I would have loved to have had them in my class. They're the kind of kids you think, oh, it's great to have them. Really good kids. I appreciate that it's not simply people from different cultures, it's different social groups, different ages, different domestic situations, married, single. We've called this series Invited. Invited. Have you invited anyone? I'm not going to ask you to stand up. Have you invited anyone? I'm going to encourage you if you haven't to do it this week. We need to see beyond ourselves. It's so easy to get tribal, to divide into groups and to just be with people like us. We see tribalism in sport. I mean, football. It's, just it's absurdly tribal. We see it politically with some politicians advocating a very nationalistic policy. Make America great again. And as part of that, let's build a wall to separate us from certain foreigners. Now, I have nothing against making America great again. Or we have another president of another country who says, for nationalistic purposes, we have nuclear missiles that you cannot evade. Why are they saying these things? It's to bolster that sense of nationalism. I read this the other day and I thought this was so helpful. Nationalism arouses solidarity and generates identity politics that threaten ethnic and religious minorities. During the we, defining the we also defines the they, and the latter is inexorably marginalized. I know it's slightly difficult to understand, but let me explain that, for example. Just leave that up there a second. The Tibetan people, for example, and their culture has been marginalized by the Chinese. Chinese invaded Tibet in about 1950, and they've marginalized the Tibetan culture. They would defend themselves and say they hadn't, but for, here's an example of how the Tibetan culture has been marginalized. Education is done in which language? Tibetan or Chinese? It's done in Chinese. And Tibetan is learned as a second language. Now imagine that happened in our country here. That somebody invaded our country and uh, English became the second language. And we had to learn Chinese. How would that make us feel? So nationalism is rampant in our world today. It's easy to develop an us and them mentality. The gospel, on the other hand, has got to break down barriers, and it does. We have brothers and sisters in Russia. We have brothers and sisters in America. We have brothers and sisters in Northern and Southern Ireland. We have brothers and sisters in all communities in South Africa. We have brothers and sisters in Ethiopia and Sri Lanka, among the Sinhalese, and the Tamil people. The church should be leading the way in terms of breaking down barriers between people. On a personal level, not everyone is like you. Not everyone is like me. People are going to be different. They're going to look different. They're going to speak different. They're going to act different. The color of their hair may be different. Their thinking may be different. And I think one of the ways in which we can really knock prejudice on the head is by getting to know people. Find out who people are. Just beyond the surface of who they are to get to know them. One of the great things about the videos shown throughout the series is learning something of people's stories. What can we do? Watch. The thing is, honestly examine your own prejudices. Ask yourself. I, am I prejudging someone or a group 
different from me? Have I heard things about certain groups in the press, on the TV? Has that affected my way of thinking about the whole group of people? Have I then categorized them, the East Europeans, as if it was one kind of homogenous group that we don't like because they've invaded our nation? Let's examine our own prejudice. Ask yourself, am I prejudging someone or a group different from me? Are there painful injustices that you have endured? Perhaps you've been on the receiving end of other people's prejudice and it's not been very nice. Well, forgiveness is going to help release you from bitterness, anger, or some of the emotional damage you live with. Forgiveness. Jesus said, it's not an option. It's not something I think would be a good idea. No, no, it's a must. It's a must because it releases you as well. And I've forgiven you such a lot. That's what I want you to be like. I want you to be someone who is quick to forgive. And Jesus, of course, suffered the greatest injustice of all. He did it out of love that we might receive his forgiveness and his love undeserved. He served us with a huge helping of grace. So we need to receive God's grace again for ourselves. Whatever your history is, Whatever mistakes you've made in the past, God extends his red carpet of grace to you again today because his mercies are new every morning. He says, your, your sins, I will remember no more. I choose not to remember them. I don't remember them. I want you to walk on my red carpet of grace and receive my love afresh for yourself because as you do, you'll be transformed from one degree of glory to another. And you will then be able to extend my grace to other people. Finally, everyone is invited.